we're going to do this series called He Was, and we're, we're going through Isaiah 53. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to just take the first four verses real quick. Let's start off. So I'm going to have it on the screen. If you've got your Bibles out, you can read along. Not out loud. That'll be weird. It says this, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Right off the bat, I like the fact that whenever they're talking about Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. Isaiah doesn't know Jesus. He lived hundreds of years before Jesus, but he's prophesying in the spirit about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, and he says... He ain't that good looking. He said he's not special. There's nothing about him that would make you look at him and say, oh, he's got to be the Messiah. He's got to be the Savior of the world. Isaiah says there's nothing special about his appearance. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected. And if you're taking notes today, the title of our message is Despised and Rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Out of all of that today, my main focus, I want to focus on verse 4, where it says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. One of the things it says in there is it says he was despised and rejected. And I feel like every one of us at some point or another have gone through some form of rejection, right? I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I feel like all of us have been rejected. All of us have had that moment where somebody despised you. They looked down on you. They thought you were worthless. They thought you were a nobody, right? Maybe we've all been through that phase in school where we were the nerdy kid, we were the the ugly kid, we were the outcast. If you didn't go through that phase when you were in school, you might be going through it right now. Sometimes it hits later in life, you can't ever tell. But we all go through that phase. I remember as a kid, um, I remember uh, we lived in, in Central America for a little while, and we came back to the States. And when we came back to the States, I had blue jeans that had holes in the knees. Back then, that was not cool. Nowadays, you've got to have holes all the way up and down. You're barely wearing pants today. It's just like wearing a net on your body, right? But, but back then, I had holes in my jeans, and, um, and I remembered people making fun of me. They said I had air-conditioned pants, right? And so I had holes in my jeans, and I got made fun of because I wasn't wearing the right stuff. And my parents, God love them, they didn't have a lot of money necessarily. And, um, and so everything we bought, we bought at like the discount rack or a secondhand place. I remember buying shoes at a secondhand shoe store. Yes, I bought used shoes. That was the only way for me to have the cool shoes. The problem is, here's what happens. When you're buying used stuff, you're always one style behind, right? You're taking what, that, what was in style and now it's not in style anymore. And so I would show up at school thinking I'm going to be cool. And by the time I got the clothes that they had, they had moved on to something else and I was a nerd again. You know, it never did work out right for me. I feel like like this half of the room today is going to be trouble, like right off the bat. For those of you that are at home watching, bless you. You are, you're in a much better place than I am today. But the thing is, growing up, you have these struggles, you have these issues. Look, 
Even beyond that, nowadays, you mean, look around. Everybody's got, got some kind of rejection, some kind of problem. We've got lots of divorce. Um, even, even in this room, and we can go through people that have been through divorce. They've been through loss of, of family members, loss of loved ones. We, we talk about all this kind of different pains that we've all gone through. I, I, was, I was watching, maybe you saw this, and I, I'm, I'm going to say this, try to be serious, but it's, it's almost laughable how stupid it is what I'm about to say, but... Someone, um, someone showed me this video of a pastor, and, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen this already, but this pastor is getting up and he's talking about marriage in his church. Anybody know where I'm going with this yet? No? Oh, this is amazing. So this guy's talking, and I, I'm listening, and the first thing he says in his sermon about marriage is he says, men, he's talking to the women, he says, women in the room, here's what your man wants. Your man wants an attractive wife. And I thought... I thought, okay, okay, I got it. He's going to come up with, you know, what is attractive. Like, it, he's going to make it sound like he's going to talk to you about your physical looks, but really he's going to talk about what is attractive. Attractive is somebody that serves the Lord. Attractive is somebody that, that, that pursues righteousness. Attractive is somebody that loves you no matter what, right? Like, like I thought I could, I could do that, have a little hook, something kind of get your attention in a message, but no, no, he doesn't say that at all. He says you need to wear makeup and you need to lose weight. Those were points in his message. Not one spiritual thing did he say. Everything was completely physical. He said, my wife didn't always look like a bean pole. She went to Weight Watchers. And I'm going, this is a joke. This can't be real. This is some kind of satire. Like any minute, he's going to turn this around and be like, ah, I'm just kidding. Nope. 100% stood behind every word he said. He's not in the ministry anymore. Go figure, right? His church kicked him out. They sent him to counseling. The reason I'm saying that is Perry and I were watching this and just in shock watching this guy preach. And Perry said, I can't imagine how abused his wife must feel. And how abused the women in his church must feel. I'm saying that to say this. We've all been rejected, abandoned and abused at some level. Sometimes it's by somebody that you love. Sometimes it's by somebody from the pulpit. Sometimes it's from your teacher. It's from your parents. Who knows where it comes from? Perry and I have been rejected before. We've felt this pain before. I've been rejected by church. I've been rejected by denomination. I've been rejected by people that I thought I could trust and I thought had my best interests at heart only to be rejected. And I had a choice to make. I was either going to get healed or I was going to wither up and die. And so today I want to talk about this rejection. I want to talk about this pain that we go through. And I want to talk about getting healing from this pain. As a matter of fact, the word, the word sorrows, where it says our sorrows weighed him down. Let me just point out, isn't it amazing that the Bible says that Jesus was acquainted with grief and sorrow, had grief and sorrow, but then on top of that, War carried our grief and sorrow as well. So every rejection, every pain, every abuse, every issue that you and I've been through, he takes that and wears it upon himself. The Bible says so much so that it weighs him down, hard to move. But the word sorrows there, what stood out to me is I looked that word up and, and, and the way that you look words up in the Hebrew or in the Greek sometimes is it'll give you um, in, in the website that I look at, the dictionary I look at, it gives you multiple definitions 
of that word, and it will give you the exact definition for the verse that you're reading, right? So, so it may say sorrows means um, loss, right? Like you've lost a loved one and you're grieving. It may say that, but then underneath it, it'll give you five or six verses where that, that word is used. But this one, this one is only listed in one area, and, and the definition for it is mental pain. Mental pain. Your mind, will, and emotions. This isn't talking about, I just am hurt. This is talking about mental issues that we have going on. Nowadays, we live in a world where mental health is a word that we use a lot. We talk about mental health all the time. It used to not be that way. It used to be that if you had something going on in your emotions, you had something going on in your feelings, you had something going on in in your heart, that you had to hide that. But I want to tell you something today. Mental pain is three things. It's real, it's common, everybody's going to deal with it, and you can't overcome it. It's real. So don't act like what you're going through, the depression or the discouragement that you're going through, is not real. Don't let someone tell you, oh, it's nothing don't act like that. No, no, no. It is real. And it is, it can cause you to, to slow everything down in your life. It can cause you to have issues with your relationships. It can cause you to deal differently with your jobs. But here's the thing. It's not only real, but it's common. Everybody deals with it at some level or another. And not only is it common, but you can overcome it. I remember, I've talked about this before, I remember the first time I felt depressed, and I'd never had a feeling of depression before in my life, but I remember the first time I ever really had a feeling of depression, and and I used to be that guy that would just tell you, just get up and get going, like get moving and you'll be okay, but I remember that that feeling of something weighing me down, and I thought, I just got to go get in bed. Like I would come home from preaching, and as soon as I would get home from preaching, Perry, about what do you want to eat? And I'm like, I don't want to eat anything, I just want to go get in bed. Like, if I can just lay down and go to sleep. And if you know me, you know I hate sleep. Like, I hate sleep. But I would go get in bed every afternoon. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a nap. It wasn't a Sunday afternoon nap, which we all know, even if you hate sleep, Sunday afternoon naps. I mean, those things are really good. Right? And I, it wasn't that. I was so discouraged and so depressed, and I had something going on in my mind, in my heart, my will, my emotions. And I was struggling, and I was hurting. And I didn't want to tell anybody about it because I felt like I was weak if I did. So how do we overcome? How do we get healing when our mind is wrecked? So I'm going to give you four steps today that will lead us towards healing. And these aren't, these aren't like anything super special that you couldn't look in the Bible and figure out yourself. But I'm just going to point them out to you today. And hopefully, hopefully as we take these steps, we'll all find some healing that we need. The first step is obviously to pray. We obviously need to pray. But, but I want to give you two things that we pray specifically about. So number one, you've got to pray to a God that understands your pain. Pray to a God that understands your pain. In other words, I'm not saying just pray to God. Pray to God with the understanding that He understands what you're going through. When you pray to God, you need to know that my God has been through the pain that I'm going through right now. Not only did we read about the prophecy in Isaiah 53, but in Hebrews chapter 4, check this out. uh, The writer of Hebrews says this. So then, since we have such a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 
Whenever you're going through some mental stuff, when you're going through some heartache, it's hard to hold on. But he's saying you've got to hold on to what you believe. Hold on to your faith. Why? This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same tests that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, where uh, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So, so who do I pray to? I pray to God, but I don't just pray. I don't just, oh, God, help me. No, no, no. I go in with the mindset. See, if, if you're talking to somebody about your car, if you're having car issues and you want to talk to somebody about your car and you come talk to me, you're not going to talk to me very confidently. Right? You might tell me my car's messed up, but you're not going to give me any details because you know they don't matter. Right? Because I can't help you. I know nothing about cars. I know how to put the gas in the car. If you've got trouble with that, I can help you with that. So, but whenever you talk to a mechanic that knows exactly what you're going through with your vehicle, you give the mechanic every detail you can imagine. Right? So when I go to God, I go to God with the mindset of, you know everything that I'm going through. And not only do you know it, you've been through it. You have experience in it. Somebody was uh, asking a question the other day, is it better to have experience or um, education? And obviously the answer is both. We want both. We want knowledge and experience. But here's the thing. I trust people. I lean more on people with experience because they've been through what I've been through. They know what's going on and they can help me get through it. And that's how Jesus is. I want to look just quickly. I'll try to run through this as fast as I can. I think I put the scriptures in there. I'm not sure if I did. But I just want to look at the last week of Jesus' life. Not, not the first 33 years, just the very last week of his life. In John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, it says that the next day, the, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. That's pretty cool. Jesus is, walk, is, is riding a donkey into Jerusalem and people are throwing down blankets and they're throwing down coats and they're throwing down palm branches. They're saying, he's the king. Let's party. This is great. A week later, Luke 23, 18 and 21, it says, Then a mighty roar, roar, a mighty roar rose from the crowd and with one voice they shouted, kill him. And released Barabbas. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. In the last week of Jesus' life, what happens? One day, everybody's shouting and cheering and loving him and saying he's the king. A week later, they're saying, crucify him, kill him. We would rather have a murderer than have him. He was despised and rejected. He knows what we're going through. In John chapter 11, still in that last week, Jesus is on his way to raise Lazarus from the dead. Some of you have read that story before. The problem is, where he's going, the, the Jews are wanting to kill him, and, and the disciples are scared, and they're like, Jesus, they, they want to kill you, and they're going to kill us too. And then Thomas, in, in John eleven sixteen, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. A week later... Mark chapter 11, verse 50. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. 
Matthew 26, 33 and 35 says this. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. A few hours later, verse 74, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went away weeping bitterly. I need you to understand something. He understands rejection. He understands rejection. He knows what it means for people to say, I love you. And the next day, say, I hate you. He knows what it means for people to say, I'll never leave you. And a few hours later, they absolutely abandon him. He gets it. And some of you have been through it. Some of you have been through it. You, you came up in an organization. You came up in a family. You came up in, in, in a relationship. You've, you've lived through this thing only to see people walk away from you, desert you, hurt you, and abandon you. That pain is real. The pain is a struggle. But here's the thing. At least you serve a Christ that knows what you've been through. The other prayer that we've got to pray, we've got to pray to a God that understands us, but then we also have to pray for the people that have hurt us. That's a hard one. No one wants to pray for the people that have hurt us. But Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Then... A few chapters later in Luke 23, when he's hanging on the cross, the Bible says when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even Jesus prayed for those who were murdering him. No matter what kind of rejection or problem or pain or abuse you've been through, I'm not saying you stay in a place of abuse or you stay in a place of rejection. But what I am saying is you've got to learn how to pray for the people that are doing it. And when I learn to pray for the people that hate me, it gives me sympathy for those people. Here's something I've noticed. It's sitting in my notes, but it's just personal experience. Here's something I've noticed. I, I remember being hurt uh, by a pastor one time, and, and um, my wife and I were very hurt by this pastor. As a matter of fact, uh, we had grown up in this town, and this particular pastor, uh, we had left the church to go to another church. We moved to another city and we came back for a wedding just to go to a wedding. And when we came back for the wedding, we were told by the pastor that we weren't allowed to come back to that city without letting him know first. That hurt us. And then we heard all kinds of things that he was saying about our family and about our, our, my, my parents and all this kind of stuff. And I was just hurt and I was broken. And I remember talking to Perry about it and she just said, she said, you got to find a way to get over it. You've got to find a way to push past it. Like it keeps holding you back. As a matter of fact, it was one of those things. And you may know this feeling. Every time I went back to that city, like just driving through the city, my stomach would begin to cramp and I would get, I would get nervous. And, and, and Perry would want to go back to see her parents. And I would not, I would just say, I'd rather stay. I'd rather stay away. I don't even want to go to the city. Like, I don't even want to be around that place anymore. I was hurt so bad. I remember one day Perry telling me, you've got to start praying for that pastor, and you've got to start praying for those people that have hurt you. 
And as I began to pray for them, not only did God allow me to forgive them, but God put a sympathy in my heart, and I began to see a bigger picture of other people, of them being hurt, because last time I checked, most of the people that do the hurting are also hurt themselves, right? And so they're, they're, they're coming at you from a place of pain, and, and so I begin to pray for them to get healed, and I begin to pray for other people to get healed, and, and it changed the way I viewed the people that I thought were my enemies. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to learn how to rehab our mind. Rehab our mind. Now, I know the Bible says renew your minds in, in Romans uh, chapter 12, but I'm talking about rehab your mind. I, I remember um, when my brother-in-law tore his ACL, and, um, and he would come to the gym in the mornings, and, and, and he would be at the YMCA doing rehab. And so, so every day he's doing all these different weird exercises to try to rehab that knee, to try to make it stronger so that he could be healthy again and play sports again. And now he can, but it's because he went through a time of rehab. But the rehab was really hard. The rehab was difficult. The rehab was, was not easy for him, but he had to do it to find a place of healing. And, and for your mind today, if your mind has been hurt, if your heart has been hurt, if your feelings and emotions have been crushed, if you're going through that sorrow and that grief that Jesus went through, then you've got to find a place where you can rehab your mind. Because right now, your thoughts are filtered through a place of pain. And so we've got to change the way we think. We've got to change the filter on those thoughts. So how do I do that? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. In other words, get a heavenly perspective on what's happening in your life right now. Don't just view everything from this perspective. Have you ever noticed that whenever you can get up high, like if you can get up on a ladder or you can get up on top of a building or you can get up in a tree, all of a sudden you can see so much further. Whenever you're down on the ground, when I go hunting and I'm down on the ground and and I'm walking in the woods, all I see is tree after tree after tree after tree. I can't see any deer, right? But once I climb up in the stand and I can look out over those trees and now I can look down into the field and I can look over into this area, now I can see everything that I need to see. But whenever our minds are set on earthly things, all we see is what's right in front of us. We've got to have a heavenly perspective. Philippians 4, 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. He doesn't say just think about it every so often. He says, fix your thoughts. Another word is, is set your minds. In Colossians, set your minds. In other words, this is a new position that I think from. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If you sit around and all you think about is how everybody's hurt you and all you think about is how you've been rejected and all you think about is how someone left you, if that's all that's consuming your mind, you will never be able to push past that into a regular relationship with others. You'll never be able to push past uh, going to a new job. Every job is going to have a bad boss if you can't get past the first bad boss you had. The problem is, it's rarely the boss, it's usually you. We become the common denominator. Because one person hurt us, now we're waiting on everybody else to hurt us, even if they're not. So we've got to fix our minds, start thinking about some new things. We've got to think about His Word and not our feelings. Don't live according to your feelings. Your feelings are broken, your feelings are hurt, your feelings are fickle. But we, His Word remains true forever and ever. 
John 8, 31 and 32 says, uh, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, my word, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's this old song that says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. As long as my mind is fixed on his word. Why do we tell you to read your Bible? Why do we tell you to listen to your Bible? The reason we do that is because we know that as I read the word of God, as I build my life on his word, it changes the way I think. I think the way he thinks, not the way I've been thinking, because the way I've been thinking doesn't work. There's this verse, it's, it's like my favorite verse in the Bible. And, um, and it's funny, you know, we were, it's Isaiah 43, uh, 2 is my favorite verse in the Bible. But um, my small group is watching this show called The Chosen. And in this show, in the very first episode, they quote Isaiah 43, 1. And I didn't even realize that that's what they were quoting. Um, and, but in the show, here's the cool thing, is this woman is having some issues. She's having some... <laughs> More than mental issues, she's got some demonic issues going on. But early on in life, her dad had given her this scripture. And, and so every time in the show that she begins to have problems or issues or grief or pain, she begins to quote this verse to herself over and over again. And I would encourage you, this is a great way to fix your thoughts, is to take scriptures that you know that, that, that God's speaking to you about you and begin to rehearse those things. The Bible calls it meditation. It's like, it's like chewing on something over and over again. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you feel alone and rejected and abandoned, read this to yourself. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The third step that we want to take in our healing process is going to be this. We need to learn how to find purpose in our pain. Pain is inevitable. We're all going to go through pain. You can't come in here and raise your hands in worship and sing songs and take notes in the message and walk out and expect never to have pain. If Jesus was a man of sorrows, we're going to have sorrow. We're going to have pain. So here's what I encourage you to do. Learn to find purpose in your pain. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, whether that's spiritual, mental, emotional, Physical, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I love the fact that James says you're going to have trouble. But when you have trouble, look for an opportunity to grow. And not just grow, but you're growing your endurance. You're growing your endurance. That word endurance there, um, all, of my, all of my weightlifters will understand this word. It also can be um, translated as patience. But what it literally means in the Greek is it means to be able to sit under a heavy load for a period of time. 
So the other day we're at the gym and, and, and we're, we've got this program where we've got to do squats. But it wasn't just any squat. You've got to take the weight and you've got to sit down in the bottom of the squat and hold it for two seconds before you stand up. You know, a lot of people don't have the patience or the endurance. And what they want to do is just bounce right back up. And that's great. That's great that you can do that. But what's going to happen whenever you get such a load on you that you can't just bounce right back up? Are you going to be able to sit down and fight through the pain to get yourself back up whenever you're stuck at the bottom? And so we were training ourselves to be able to do that. In life, in our spirit, this is what God is saying. You've got to learn how to have endurance. And James says the only way to gain endurance to sit under that load is whenever troubles come, Don't fight it. Don't start cursing it. Learn how to find an opportunity to grow. So whenever I'm hurting, I'm in pain, instead of wallowing in my pain, I say, you know what? This is temporary, what I'm going through. But I'm going to grow from this. When I was hurt by a church, when I've been hurt by people, I thought, you know what? How can I grow from this? I know this. I know I've got to change the way I approach people because I don't ever want to hurt somebody the way that person hurt me. I learned that whenever I went through that, then when other problems came, they weren't really that big a deal because I thought I've already been through some really bad stuff. So this little problem that's coming up, this is nothing for me. Why? Because I've already learned how to have endurance through the problems. Jesus said this in John 12, 27. He's, he's about to die. He's, it's, it's in the last little bit before he goes to the cross. And here's what he says. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray Father, save me from this hour? So he's asking the question. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to die. And then he says, should I pray, God, God, save me from this hour? Take me out of this. Don't let me go through this trouble. And then he says this, but this is the very reason that I came. Jesus says, should I, should I pray that I don't have to go through this? No, this is why I'm here. I showed up on this earth to die on that cross. I'm not going to get out of it. I'm going to push through it because there's a purpose and a destiny and a plan beyond my pain. There's something better on the other side. And so I'm going to have to learn how to endure the pain a little bit longer so that I can get to the purpose that God has for me. There's some of you that are struggling and you're dealing with some stuff right now. And I just want to tell you, you need to learn how to deal with the pain a little bit longer Endure a little bit longer and understand that God's got a purpose for your life. He's got a purpose for what you're going through. Pastor, are you telling me that, that God's got, God wanted my spouse to abuse me? Are you telling me that it's God's plan for, for that person to leave me? Are you telling me it was God's plan for my father to die? No, I'm not telling you that's God's plan. I'm telling you that the pain that you're in right now, you can grow from. That may be sin, that may be bad, what happened to you, the act is bad, but what you're dealing with right now is something you can learn to grow from. The last one is this, and this is where we're going to close the message today, is you got to seek help. And I put in your notes today, the blank was seek, because I, I feel like this is an important word and an important point. What we want to do sometimes is we want people to seek us out. We want other people to seek us out and say, are your feelings okay? Are you okay? That's what we want people to do. But listen, nobody gets healed waiting on the doctor to show up at their house, right? To see if they're okay. 
something my dad taught me a long time ago, and I always thought it was kind of funny. But my dad always said, look, I'm going to ask you how you're doing. I'm going to ask you if everything's okay. And I'm not asking you as a greeting. I'm not asking you just as something to say. I'm asking you, and I'm being legit. I'm saying, hey, is everything okay? And if you say everything's fine, I'm going to believe you. He said, it's not my job to start digging in, right? If I walk up to you and say, hey, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm good. Then I believe you. Why? Because as an adult, I've got to learn how to go to people and seek out help for myself. I've got to go to somebody and say, I'm hurting and I'm broken and I need you to help me. We need to, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Let let me tell you a couple of things. We need friends. You need to have a friend that you can go to that you can be honest with, that you can say, look, right now, I'm dealing with some mental pain and I'm struggling, I'm hurting. We need to have family members that we can go to. I hate it. I hate it whenever people are going through trauma and they just don't talk about it. I'm teaching my son about this right now. We, he and I um, are big LSU fans and if you follow sports of any kind, then you'll know that the LSU right now is just in a, in a mess as a school because some of the football players and some of the former coaches um, years ago abused women and took advantage of some women. And now LSU, many years later, is under fire. And, and Gabriel was asking me the other day, he said, Dad, I don't understand. Why is it now a problem? Why wasn't it a problem back then? And I said, because... Because the, the, the system tried to cover it up. I said, but the women didn't feel safe to say anything to anybody. Guys, we've got to have people in our life that whenever we're hurting and we're broken, that we can go to. And not be ashamed. Not be fearful. But we can go to them and say, I've got a problem. I'm hurt. I've been rejected. I've been abused. We need to have a small group. I love the fact that since Bobby's been at our church, he's really helping us to revamp and do better in our small groups. That's why we have small groups, because you need a place that you can open up. I told you earlier at the beginning of the message, I remember going through a depression for the first time in my life, and I didn't understand why. I mean, I thought I knew why, but I didn't really understand the depth of it. And I remember going to a small group, and this particular small group was a small group made up of people I did not know. And so um, there was no church people in there, and so... It's actually a small group for pastors, and it was all pastors in the room. And, and I remember sitting in that small group, and, and the first week I didn't have like a breakthrough or anything. Second week, no breakthrough, nothing special. But I remember like maybe week six or seven, it was like all of a sudden everything hit me. It was like a light turned on, and I saw the truth of what was really going on in my life. And I was able to open up, and I was able to talk, and I was able to talk to people that have been through pain the couple next to us, the pastors right next to us, had just lost a child. Like they were going through pain and suffering. And I remember being able to talk to these guys and getting people to pray for me and love on me. But I had to have that, that group, that place where I could find the truth because Jesus says the truth will set you free. You need counseling. I think for a long time we've, we've said don't, you know, just, just, you're okay, just pray. If you just pray, everything will be okay. No, sometimes you need a professional counselor. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're married in the room today, you need, 
it's okay for you to go to marriage counseling. There's nothing wrong with that. To have somebody you can talk to about what's going on that can help you, a professional. If you're going through issues, if you're dealing with stuff in your past, don't just think, if I just come down and get prayed for, everything's going to be okay. I believe God can heal you inside and out. Don't get me wrong. But I think sometimes what we do is we pacify ourselves by saying, if I just get prayed for today, and I don't talk about it, but if I just say, I need you to pray for me about some stuff going on, right? Everybody's had those prayer requests where you're asking for prayer about nothing at all. You're not honest. You're not confessing what's really going on. Just pray for me about some stuff. And it just pacifies us and makes us feel good in the moment. But at the end of the day, nothing really gets healed. I'm telling you today, I am not a professional counselor. Don't come to me for that. But I know I've got friends that are, and I will send you to them. And I will help you find somebody that can help you get through the issues you're dealing with. But with that being said, let me help you on the spiritual side, because that's my job. My job is a spiritual And that's one thing we can provide. In James chapter 5, and this is where we'll end today. Matter of fact, you can go ahead and stand up with me today. I'm going to read this verse and we'll be done. I've got a couple of couples, as a matter of fact. They're going to come down to the front and I'll explain why. Because in James chapter 5, here's what it says. Are any of you suffering hardships? We're back to that word suffer. James is saying, does anybody have some mental things going on? Do you have some pain on the inside that you don't know what to do with and you, don't, you can't figure out how to fix it? Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. I already said that. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? Now look, here's the thing about being sick. In this verse, it's not just talking about physically ill. It's also, it, it means in there, if you look in the Greek, physical or mental sickness you can have an issue going on on the inside and james says are any of you sick you should call for the elders of the church to come pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the lord such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the lord will make you well and if you've committed any sins you will be forgiven some versions there on heal says restore why because we're broken and we're hurting we felt abandoned and abused. We felt rejected and despised. And we've got all these parts of our heart that are just crushed and broken and in pieces. And James says, if you'll get the elders of the church, if you'll get the people in the church that have been through a, a storm or two, if you'll get some folks that can, can, can sympathize with you, and they've been through it, and they've got the wisdom and the spiritual life to help you, then what they're going to do is they're going to pray for you. And you're going to find restoration for your soul. So this morning, we're going to practice something that we haven't practiced in a while. I was telling the team before church today, I said, I said, when COVID hit, we stopped praying for people. And I think that's the stupidest thing in the world because the Bible says, pray for the sick, lay hands on the sick. And what did we do? We said, we don't want to get anybody sick, so we're not going to pray for you. That is so dumb and backwards. That's my fault. I want to pray for you today. If you're suffering, if you're hurting today, if you're sick on the inside, we want to pray for you today. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just pray over you. Jonathan's going to start singing. And as he sings, we're going to take just a few minutes. And we're going to get, allow you to come down if you need prayer for anything today. Anything today. And don't think if you come down for prayer, everybody's thinking, oh, look, what's wrong with that guy? Nobody thinks that in here. 
If you come down for prayer, we're thinking, look how bold that person is going down for prayer. I, need to, I probably need to go down too. If you need prayer today, whenever I get done praying, if you need prayer while we sing, I want you to come down, slip out of your seat, let these guys pray for you. Let them pray for you. They'll send you right back to your seats and we'll dismiss in just a minute. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now for everybody in this room that we would have the boldness and the courage to understand that we serve a God that's been through everything that we're going through. That just because we're hurting on the inside doesn't mean that you can't heal us. God, just because we've been rejected and abused doesn't mean that you can't use us. That God, you've got a purpose in our pain. And you've got people set up in our life that can help us. You've got people that can speak over us. You've got people that can pray for us. And I just pray today for everybody in this room that's struggling, that's hurting, that's broken, God, that they would have the boldness and the courage, God, to seek the help that they need. And God, we may not be able to provide the psychological help that some of us might need. That may go to a professional, but God, today we can provide the spiritual help. We know how to enter into your presence. And so God, I just pray right now that you would bring healing into this room. Bring healing into these prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.